Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome everybody to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear you today. Get up with you. We're going to talk a little preaching as we prepare for the fifth Sunday after the Epiphany. And guess what, folks? This is about it for Sundays after the Epiphany. It's a short one this year due to the early date of Easter. Yeah. So, yeah, February 11th will be either, depending on your calendar, the last Sunday after the Epiphany, or you'll call it the Transfiguration, but the texts are the same. It's that's that it. That's transfiguration it. event on the 11th. So this is it. This is it. For, uh, uh, just That's another way of saying Lent is just <laughs> around the corner. <laughs> and the following that, of course, right. Easter. And uh, Anyhow, let me give a quick shout out to those who were able to participate this past week in our Preacher's Conversation and uh, had about 20 of you that were able to sign on. A few more had to send regrets, but we had a great time and a very good discussion of the upcoming Lenten texts. We're going to post uh, a recording of that session on the website. Those of you that might like to give it a listen and see what two Bubba's had to say, what our various pastors and preachers had to say, it was a, a group effort. It was good, and we're going to see about doing uh, something similar Another time in the future. These are the texts for February the 4th, 2024. So, Bubba, uh, lead us in. We've been on the verge of technical difficulty this morning. We'll go as long as our equipment holds out. (laughs) And the internet. There you go. (laughs) Okay. There you go. All right. So, on this particular Sunday, there. you know, I like to talk about themes that tend to run through and... and, um, Get ready to take a big Luther pill here. Uh, For me, there are a couple of quintessential yet interrelated Lutheran themes that lurk about in our text. One one is the hiddenness of God, uh, Deus Abscondidus, and the other is the theology of the cross. And I'm going to explore where, for just a few minutes, where I see those popping in the hiddenness of god or you know what was that children's book where's waldo this would be where's yahweh um <laughs> now you didn't just give us an image of yahweh sitting up there with a big red stocking cap on no <laughs> well you know why not what was it joan i can't remember her last name had this song what if what if god was god, one, of god, god, one of us mm-hmm. you know and and that's kind of the question where is where's where god? is god and where do you look to find God? Um, in Isaiah and the Psalm, they're talking about, you know, where is God? Where is God in that when it hurts? Where is God when when things aren't going our way? Where is where is God in the pain? Where is God in the world? What how what proof do we have there's a God? There's all this where is God? And there's some answers that it, that gives in creation, in power, in rules, and righteousness, mm-hmm. in compassion, etc. Those those wander around. And then the the gospel lesson, it's not exactly where is God, but is God where Jesus is? Mm-hmm. And then where's Jesus? <laughs> and they were looking for him, yeah. and he wasn't where they expected him to be. That's the hiddenness of God. I mean, maybe God doesn't do 
exactly what we think God's going to do. We'll come back to that when we talk about the Christ, which leads to uh, the other quintessential Lutheran theme. The, the answer to the question, where is, where is God, is the theology of the cross. Uh, a theology of glory sometimes points to things going right and going well, and the theology of the cross points to finding God in unexpected places, right. mostly in pain, suffering, and sacrifice, which is not what was expected. So, uh, you once again, you walk through all this, and we'll come to that. So, I just want to low, put those out there for us to be thinking mm-hmm. about as we look mm-hmm. at these texts. Primarily, what the question of where is God, and an answer that's, uh, that lifts up not necessarily the, the, the cross of Christ as much as, because we've got a couple of Hebrew scripture things, God is where the pain mm. is. Yeah. Where is God? God is where the pain and the hurt is. God will not run from that. God will be there in that. Mm. That's going to be pretty so. rich to think about. Look for the pain, the suffering, the hurt. And, of course, this gospel story concludes with confronting death. Um. Yeah. yeah. Look there for God. Hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Where is God? All right. So we start out here with Isaiah forty twenty one through thirty one. Uh, uh, this is the beginning part of Second Isaiah, and uh, the prophet is trying to talk to the folks in exile and get them to believe his message that exile's coming to an end. That God Yahweh is acting. Uh, and the exile will be over, and they'll be able to return. And he starts with <clears throat> rhetorical questions. Uh, I don't think David Buttrick would have approved. Nah, too many questions uh, this, to begin with. Too many questions. You, you you heard him say it more. I heard about it uh, and read about it. But Buttrick, as I understand it, would say, don't use rhetorical questions because people sit around thinking about yeah. their answers and quit listening. Uh, very using use of questions has to be very very well considered because a question makes the listener drop everything else and try to answer the question so yeah only yeah, yeah be careful so he he but he has four times in this text that he runs off rhetorical questions uh the first verse is just a series of mm-hmm. them you know and then you come down to verse 25 there's some more questions. Then verse 27, there's more. And then verse 28, there's more. Yeah. Coming back to the bit, have you not seen? But what he is using these rhetorical questions, and this is the way you considerably do this, is you're not actually asking a question. Mm-hmm. You are saying, you ought to know this. Why are you even thinking about this yeah you know. you're making what what are you thinking you're making yeah <laughs> you're making a point in in the form of an uh, interrogative right uh, it, it, so yeah. you're, you're using the question but it's not one that you intend for people to stop and think about now you may do that at some point in your presentation um you know yeah. you ask a question and you got to kind of stop and think when we were kicking lenten scriptures around in our little conversation the other day we all you know someone would ask a question and what we found in the group was we'd all have to sit for for a minute and think about that yeah. like ah uh, hmm uh, yeah but here it's so, more of making a point yeah homiletically if you're going to ask a question that you want people to think about Give them time to That's think. That's true. This is not radio. 
you know, even now it's more FaceTime and video. It's mm-hmm. not radio. Dead air time is okay in church. Mm-hmm. So if you want them to think about it before you move on, give them time to yeah. think. So anyway, what he's doing here is people have been, when he has been trying to say these things are happening, they're saying, oh, where is God? They're, he's answering their questions with questions that point them to the answer. That's the key yeah. here. His answers, his questions point them to the answer to their own question. Where has God been? We're in exile. Israel got destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Where is God? And he says, what? Why are you asking? <laughs> Haven't you known? Haven't you heard? Hasn't been told from the beginning? Yeah. Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He's saying, remember what you were taught. There you go. Remember. He's basically, rather than saying, pointing at him, saying, remember what we told you you knew. He's invoking, evoking their history of knowing. And then he moves on, and it is he with the little, that he there, it's funny. Uh, If you've, um, if you haven't heard it, look up Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers and the song, uh, Atheists don't got no songs. Yes, <laughs> it's hilarious, and it's it's hilarious. It's kind of a bl- uh, acapella bluegrass thing. He said the Unitarians don't have a hymn book until now, and then he comes up. He says one sheet of paper. This is the entire atheist hymn book or whatever. And there's this line, this this recurring line. He says, and he is always lowercase. <laughs> you know, in in the old days, we always put a, a a capital letter in the in the scripture right. for for where and then writing i remember early on in a lot of my writing theological writing in the 70s you still were doing Correct. that putting capitalizing and now it's it's moved in a different direction in terms mm-hmm. of that but the he here is yahweh mm-hmm. is god and so he starts answering you know and part of it is you're acting like God is nobody. God is the creator. You know, and so he calls attention to the creation, and he calls attention to God's control of history, brings princes to naught, makes the rules. And he talks about, he controls creation and all of that. And so then God speaks and says, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Mm. Lift up your eye again, and that's not a question. That is a direct, there's nobody equal to me. There's no answer to that. There's no one equal to God. Yeah. And so lift up your eyes. Who created the world? So he calls on creation, and then he comes to the point. He says, so why do you, Israel, this is, rather than the general philosophical question of is there a God and where is God, Israel. You you have experience with me. <laughs> I have, you know. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Mm-hmm. The, I'm the and I I took care of you, gave power to the faint, etc. And then it ends with that wonderful mount up on with eagles' wings. Mm-hmm. If you have that in your repertoire and have twi- time to get your choir to do it, mm-hmm. uh, that's a wonderful song for for now. Uh, yep. Mounting up with eagle's wings. Run and not be weary. So he moves it from the general God is present in the universe to 
the more particular God is present in Israel, to the very direct God is present with those who are in need. And what we are to do is wait. Those who wait for the Lord, these are people who've been waiting a long time in exile, and he said, just wait. Just wait, and it and God will be there for you. This is one of my favorite passages for, I believe, what the the way it worked in Isaiah's time. The this, the writer of this part of Isaiah, and the way it works in our time. This kind of forces us to think theologically. That that's what this yep. passage is asking us to do. What do you really believe about God? What do you think about God? Yep. And as uh, many of you have heard me say in workshops and on this show, uh, I'm I'm always after what you know. What's going on in this passage theologically? What are the words about God that we can say here? And remembering that uh, it's a high call for us, but it's also the call of the congregation to think theologically, because everybody, everybody sitting in your pews and everybody going uh, when they go home and, and, you know, sitting at the dinner table or on the job or wherever you go, everybody's got a theology. They think something about God. Uh, And as one of my professors said, that doesn't mean it's a good theology, but but they've got something. And so this is a great opportunity, uh, you know, not to lambast people and, and, and try to come off, as we might say, all highfalutin. But what it's really doing is this is an exercise. And wait a minute, what do we really believe about God? And just imagine those folks. Yes, in exile. They just about made it through. And there's the promise to go back. But what do we believe about God at this moment? And they're recalled to look back and remember, go, okay, well, how does that inform what I'm going to faith right now, what I'm going to believe right now, and move forward? Great passage, and I love pairing it with the psalm, which I know you're going to talk about a little bit. Well, and and I want to say about that, that thinking is that I was thinking about, you, sometimes it's attributed to Mark Twain. I think the best I can tell is Samuel Johnson said something more particular about it, which is, Nothing concentrates the mind like the threat of being hung the next day. <laughs> Johnson's version, sometimes nothing. Sometimes it's attributed to Twain, nothing concentrates the mind like the threat of death. But what I want to say is this, we, what we believe about God and the ultimate realities of life comes deeply into focus in those times when we feel God's absence mm-hmm. the most. Mm-hmm. What do we really believe about yep. God? Do we believe God's only present with me when I've been good? And that God is only present if with reward? Or uh, do we believe that God in this life mm-hmm. rewards and punishes so there's something I did wrong for life to be this yeah. way? What do you really believe happens when you're in that moment? I, and I I'm not lauding myself for having been married 49 years. Uh, my wife had a lot to do with putting up with yeah. me, and that's going to be my point. I can look back on 49 years. Marriage is hard work, and 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 the times it's easy to say, "Oh dear, I love you," and we, you know, and we, as things are going smooth, it's mm-hmm. easy. Everybody's getting. It's when the crap hits the fan as it does in everybody's life and when things are difficult yeah. and you're not exactly on the same page 
and and things are hard, and then you've come down and said, what do I really believe about this relationship Mm -hmm. and about what we can be for each other? Same thing applies theologically. And the answer that Isaiah proclaims is you can't doubt God's presence in creation. You cannot doubt God's presence in the history of the world and do not doubt God's presence in your life even when you feel God's absence the strongest weight God will be there yeah there's uh another I I am right with you 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 you're singing my song you're preaching to the choir right there (laughs) but there is also the bumper sticker version of this theology that I saw two years ago if you feel far from God guess who moved <laughs> yeah and and the, the the isaiah text and the psalm text call us to oh wait a minute let me look around let me consider this let me op- open my eyes and open open my heart and yeah see what. and and the psalm does uh, kind of the same thing it's part of that last five psalms in the the saw in the book of psalms that are praise psalms it's kind of the praise song section of the hymnal there and uh it's this one has a rotating set of reasons and instructions to thank and praise the God. You know, it starts with praise the Lord, how good it is, praise, praises, and then it starts talking about why. And it has this rotating set of reasons that go back and forth from community, compassion, and creation. And it's, again, it's the large picture mm-hmm. of creating everything. It's the smaller picture of God present in our community, and it's really deeply in God's compassion for us in our moments of pain. And a lot of times that compassion is shown through that community, that God is active in that community. But it goes back and forth, and you can see that moving back and forth. And then it comes down to the end with the conclusion of saying, so where is God's delight? It's not in the strength of the horse he created, and it's not in the pleasure of the speed of a runner. Lord takes pleasure in you. Those are, and, and I fear him, I call trust him. Mm-hmm. We talked, yeah. Of his presence. We talked a good bit last week on the uh, about understanding this fear of the Lord thing. So, yeah, that's it. Trusting and the, so this, the parallel thought, so characteristic of Hebrew th- uh, writing. That second phrase expands that in those who hope in his steadfast love. Yeah, yeah. And 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 it what a impresses me is you got to watch the movement as he kills does this circular thing rotating from the big picture of creation community compassion mm-hmm. and then he brings it all the way to relationship yes you know it's deep it becomes the where is god god is in that relationship mm-hmm. of trust is ultimately yeah. where is god hidden well we might say God's in our heart. You might say that. And this is, <laughs> since I'm on a theological roll today, uh, yeah. we might well say, and I will say, that this Psalm 147 is a particular illustration of one of my favorite theological tensions and ideas, and that is the, the concept of God's transcendence, because we get the God yeah. here who's naming the stars. We get the God of abundant power, you know, and we, when you compare this with the Isaiah, I mean, this is this is God with a big G. I mean, it's power. And then this is also the God who is immanent. 
spelled with the A, immanent, who is close to us, who is with us. And you get a God who is with those who hope in the love. You see, you get a God who's giving uh, food to the animals, taking care of young ravens when they cry. It's very personal. So you got this huge concept of transcendence. God is so far beyond anything we could understand or even imagine. And God is with us out there feeding the baby birds. (laughs) Uh, So I love it. I love it. Yeah. So we move First Corinthians nine sixteen through twenty three, and uh, my connections with my hiddenness and uh, theology of the cross may not be as easily discerned, but I'm not going to shoehorn. I was just thinking, <laughs> Demer's about to turn and get that big old shoehorn here. No, no, it's not no. going to not going to really shoehorn because what Paul is talking about here is his basic ethical principle of the, for his version of some of the theology of the cross is how we sacrifice ourselves for others. That's what he's working on here. And and where are how are we there for God for others as an age as part of the body of Christ? Um, Eight through ten, he has been dealing with various ethical questions, and his underlying ethical principle we have named several times by quoting Luther's own Christian liberty or freedom of the Christian in terms of that that kind of paradoxical uh, free lord of all, subject to none, slave of all, subject to everyone. Uh, Verse 19 is where Luther got this. Mm -hmm. Yep. Though I am free with respect to all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more of them. I mean, Luther's Bibli- everything Luther said, he rooted in uh, Scripture, and this was his Scripture for the, well, everything he said on a basic underlying for uh, that work on Christian liberty. And this is the principle. Mm-hmm. Uh, with which Paul is addressing all these ethical questions. And the principle is, I have great evangelical freedom, one for me in Christ. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with it? Am I going to serve myself? Or am I going to serve others? And if I, being a Christian, is to live in imitation of Christ, and my call is to pick up a cross and follow, then I, I reckon I'm going to need to serve others. Mm. Yes. Now, these, dial- these things that he says after this, after though I am free with respect to all, I've made a slave to all, are a little bit enigmatic and kind of hard to understand some of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, I became as though one outside the law. Um, to the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. Uh, those are kind of rhetorical. Mm-hmm. And the point underneath, so I've had, you know, along the way, outside the law. So that means I'm supposed to go in where them folks is a sinning and sin with them so they'll like me and then maybe I can get them to love, you know. Yeah. Let's not get too literal here. Well, and, and I think that's the part I say. I'm not free from God's law, you know. I'm still under yep. Christ's law. However, and, I, you know, I can yep. see Paul sort of waiting in here. And I want to give a, 
a Bill Gager moment. Bill Gager was a member of my yeah. congregation from several years ago, and we were thinking about outreach and things churches talk about and how cool it might be. Instead of coming and sitting at a prayer meeting one Wednesday night, we we said, well, let's just all, we're going to walk downtown in Gainesville here. And in the yeah. evening time, Gainesville's known for the number of bars and clubs and places. It's a big student population, not exclusively. And I said, well, that's a great idea, Bill. We could walk in and, uh, you know, we could order a, a Diet Coke or something and, and, and sit there. And he said, Diet Coke? I'm thinking of some a nice bourbon on the rocks, you know. <laughs> And and I remember being yeah. so shocked at that point, but then having to stop and think, well, how free am I, are we, to be yeah. in the midst of? Now, that don't mean you have to sit there and knock that back, you know, maybe five or six bourbons in a row. But, I, you know, this is finding that balance. The law of Christ compels us. You know, and and yeah. and yet here's the the law saying, well, we don't drink, smoke, and chew, and we don't go with girls that do. Uh, what what yeah. what do we do? Scripture's an open and living well, thing. Well, the, yeah. the first the first part of this text, you know, Paul talks about he's under under compa- com, compelled to um, to do this work to proclaim the gospel, um, and so then he comes back and says, it's not because I choose to, it's because I have to, because mm-hmm. God wants me to. Because if I do it for myself, Ba-bing. then I get my own reward. But I'm doing it because Christ has called me to. So he's again setting it up. I'm doing this for the benefit of others and for Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I'm aware uh, that some people, hear this kind of call to self-sacrifice as inappropriate call to to more martyrdom you know yes don't mind me i'll just sit in the dark you know that's a mm-hmm. uh, how does a southern mama change a light bulb passive aggressively don't mind me i'll just sit in the dark yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know don't mind me y'all go on it don't matter i'll y'all enjoy yourselves i'll stay here that's and clean up the dishes yeah Okay, I'll you know that's that's not what this is encouraging us to. Mm-hmm. This this is encouraging us to consider the needs of others above the needs of ourselves. Yeah. While taking care, love your neighbor as yourself. It is not a self abnegation, but it is an understanding that, in the words mm-hmm. of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Christ was the per- man for others, and we are called to be people for others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, uh, M. Scott Peck had a definition of love as the will to extend oneself for the benefit of your own or another's physical, mental, spiritual mm-hmm. well-being. Love is the will to extend oneself. And Paul is talking about having the will to extend ourselves for the benefit of the other. Yeah. And, and this is this is countercultural to kind of mm. the American sense of individual freedom. We emphasize that freedom part. I am free with respect to all. Don't tread on me. Don't mess with my freedom. I need I need to have freedom to make mine. Don't interfere with that. Mm-hmm. I won't interfere with yours, and you don't interfere with mine. And you know, the gospel. This is be the be all that you can be. The army said the gospel according to Ayn Rand. Uh, you know, yes. kind of yeah, yes. yeah. 
And I was thinking somebody did an illustration some time ago, and I'm going to update it. He said about the 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 um, human ability for narcissism and ego. We had them used to be a magazine called Time. Not long after that, there was one called Life, and then a popular one was called People, and then there came out one that was Self. <laughs> and now that we don't do magazines, what we've got are TikTok and Instagram, in which we put on videos of ourselves mm-hmm. to the world and see how many followers we can yeah. get that are want to look It'll at be us. Be an influencer. Yeah. Influencer. What the heck is an influencer? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Somebody advertised their job as influencer. Oh, it's and I'm definitely like, a thing now. Professional con person, I guess. Uh, so, anyway. We're dating ourselves, Bubba. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but, but my point is that Paul, Paul is calling us to a relinquishing of human freedom, willful, willing relinquishment of our human freedom when necessary for the sake of the others need mm-hmm. how do we how do we, the paul's call here is the call to the cross yeah. of sacrifice for the sake of the other mm-hmm. so which leads to our mark text 129 through 39 in which all of these relate to it's interesting these are four small units one of the problems with preaching this text is it's not one consistent story it's not a pericope you know it's it's four small units that are like my grandson telling me a story (laughs) yeah you know it's got a lot and then and then and then and it's chronological telling me what happened without making the connections and this is kind of what the way mark lays this out now it's not it's not artless right but it it it's mark's kind of style and what he's getting at in the big picture is revealing various things about who jesus is and today there is this teacher healer but prayer mm-hmm. and the real important dynamic plays out here as to how Jesus relates to the issue of fame and self. So I want to play with that a little bit. So the units are, he heals as much, you know, he's got the, um, they leave the synagogue and they went to Simon's house. He heals the mother-in-law. One of the interesting lines there, and she began to serve them, and Amy Jill Levine points out, that a lot of people say, well, then she raised up to a servant role. The point here was she was fully healed and able to re re-enter her normal behavior. Yeah, and that was not. And she, yeah, I love that. You have to kind of dig into the image and the mindset to to understand yeah. being fully restored. This was what she wanted to do. She's got yeah. she's got company. She got people in the house. Yeah. She's going to get yeah. up and serve them and set them and be sure the table's set and everybody's got enough to eat. This is being restored to one's full capacity. No. Full capacity, yeah. yeah. So she gets healed and then people hear about it. And the, Jesus didn't put up a sign that says, Healing ministry today, you know. Yum old do rocks gospel love, healing shows not come to town. Uh, yeah. Brother loves yeah, traveling salvation show and healing operation. People just show. Yeah. 
and they keep coming. And he cured every, all these folks, and, and, and everybody knew, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. That's some of that messianic secret thing. So that's story two. Yep. So you got healing the mother-in-law, then you got heal everybody coming. And then you got this third story in the morning while it was still dark. He slid off to pray. Mm-hmm. So he goes off to pray, and the disciples get up and say, "If yesterday was good, good today's bound to be great because you know the, all those people yesterday will go get other people. We got they're going to start coming. Oh, here they come! Look at these people yeah. out here. Where is he? That's it. And they go looking for him, and they find him praying. And here comes to me the fourth story. They found him. Everybody's searching for you." Now, if it were about Jesus, if Jesus were about self, he could say, you know, this is working really well. I'm going to go back. I can heal a lot of people. So you could justify that. I can heal a lot of people. And this ministry will grow and, you know, I'll get back. But instead, he says, no, let's go. Let's go where I've not been heard about, so that I may proclaim the message. What message? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. For that is what I came out to do, keeping his mind on what he is called to do. And then it says, he went out through Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues, and by the way, casting out demons. Jesus picks up the cross of walking away continually from fame i think this story is connected back to the temptations this is some of the way in which mark explores what the temptations were he doesn't list them right in his gospel but it, they people knew mm-hmm. see this is one of the things we have to remember about mark he's not writing on a, a blank slate these were people knew these stories of what happened in temptations mm-hmm. and he's trying to say jesus was tempted to fame and walked away because that wasn't what it was about. Yeah. Just as I'll take you up on the temple, you worship me, and everybody will come to you. And Jesus said, no, That's not what it's I'll, about. and walked away. Yeah. He took up his cross and went on his way. Absolutely. Well, we talked. Where is God? Yeah. God is where the pain is. Compassion is where the pain is. We talked last week about Mark and the nature of the way Mark writes, and it's it, it's let's get on with it. And it does see we're still in chapter one, and and yeah. we've had all this stuff. We've had the baptism, we've had the wilderness, and um, we had again today starts as soon as they left the synagogue. That kicks us back to last week's text with this, you know, uh, casting out demons from this fellow, and then it moves us. Yes, they're individual kind of episodes. And they are sort of tied together with, and then this is what happened next. But we do see yeah. a progression, right? The man in the synagogue, yeah. the mother-in-law, the word spreads, the whole. Now, folks, at just this point, John's microphone went out, and my comments for the rest of the show are disabled. So it's going to end a little strangely today, but let me let you hear from Delmer, his final comments, and then he's going to tell everybody bye. Well, let me, let me let me do then one. Here I go. Yeah, John, and and to the point of how Mark writes, because that's going to be important this whole year to pay attention to, is he packs a lot in there, and it's easy sometimes for us to miss 
that he's packing a lot. I I remember uh, when I was at Holy Trinity in Nashville, I was teaching a Bible study, and I had a uh, a fellow who was a doctor at Vanderbilt Hospital that was in the in the Bible study with me. And early December, I was in the hospital, and the chaplain came up and he said, "Doctor so and so told me he's really enjoying your Bible study on Mark. Where are you?" And I said, "Well, we only started in September. We just now got into chapter two." Because there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack as we move through this year, and so be careful as you read this. And what's being seen here is goes back to my introduction. And I'm going to end with this: is that where God is sometimes hidden in our lives as we look for where God is, and when things are going well, we don't worry too much about where God is. We go to church and we sing our hymns and we have good fellowship and the preacher told had a good sermon. What was it about? I don't know, but you should have heard that joke he told to start with. You know, everything's fine. But then when, th- when the pain happens, we begin to wonder, where is God? And the answer is always is consistently God's in the relationships and God is in the pain and we are called to wait for God to show. And the gospel lesson shows Jesus going to where the pain is and showing the reveal revealing his presence and and we like to talk about god jesus as a moral teacher and a good teacher and as post enlightenment we try to sometimes avoid the casting out demons or the healing but this was so important to the gospel writers in general and mark in particular because this showed god as present with those in need, the poor, which were over 50%, 70% of the population in the Roman Empire were the poor. This not even counting the slaves, and then the slaves. So preferential option for the poor was preferential option for the people. Where it was with the poor, with the hungry, with the sick, with the oppressed, that's where you find God. So where do you look for God? You look for God on the cross. Because God is one of us. God is with us. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Top of the Morning, performed by Track Tribe. We go out today with Joan Osborne as she asks the question, What if God was one of us?
Except for the Pope maybe in 